G'day. This is For The Win, the podcast that goes behind the scenes of campaigns that have changed Australia forever. I'm your host, Emily Mulligan. This episode, we're talking to the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, who pulled off a successful and exciting boycott campaign and industrial action with streets ice cream workers late last year. They won improved conditions for workers in just over a month. They're also the funniest union online. Here's how they did it. Today we're talking to um, Georgia Chris and George Simon from the AMWU about the streets workers strike, a successful industrial action from late last year. Um, so, g'day George, g'day Georgia. Hello. G'day, thanks for having us. Awesome. So, just a bit about the who the two of you are before we get started. So, George, were your first words solidarity forever or were you always <laughs> about this life? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was... I was uh, I was born saying the word solidarity forever, I assume, um, although my, my mum never told me that. Um, but uh, So I've been at the AMWU for well, like over a decade now, and I head up the communications team there. And um, But I've done a whole range of things there um, and gone to the communication space in fairly recent years, spent a lot of time kind of organising, so, you know, um, visiting workers um, in factories in Western Sydney and um, talking about why they should join their union and take collective action and negotiating agreements and all that kind of stuff. So that's all given me a really good grounding in this kind of campaigning work and I've been doing that for a long time and I love it. Awesome. And where did you grow up? I grew up in um, in a suburb that many people will not have heard of in Cherrybrook in Sydney, which is the northwest suburbs. Um, and yeah, kind of grew up around there and had a pretty, pretty ordinary suburban childhood. Fantastic. Can you introduce us to our guest of honour today? Oh, I do have my guest of honour here today. This is the AMW's um, canine mascot, Isla, who's my two-and-a-half-year-old rescue staffy, who comes to work with me most of the time, and um, she's found a comfy place here at GetUp. Fabulous. And I think um, if we hear any barking or drooling in the background, <laughs> could credit it to it, her. <laughs> it could be me. It could be the dog. It's unclear. <laughs> and, um, George, I didn't quite catch you in the... Um, casting for the Howard era uh, union thug TV ads. I don't know if you remember those. Um, but I just feel like, you know, you don't, the image of people that work at unions is not normally you. It's people that are like 100 kilos more than you and like hefty big boys, you know? Like, how do you find working in that space? Yeah, fair. Um, I, I love working at AMW. I've been around for three and a half years. Started there while I was studying comms at uni. Um, and they kind of supported me to finish my degree, had a few hard words with me about finishing my degree and then um, graduated and been working there ever since. Um, it's a great union that has done a lot of work on uh, bringing itself into the 21st century in a lot of ways. Um, so despite being, you know, a young gay woman, I find it a great place to work and I, I think that the comms team in particular has been a really kind of cool edgy place where we've been testing new ideas and kind of having some fun as well yeah so. absolutely and where did you grow up oh, canberra very dull canberra yeah chartered two public servants yep heard that story <laughs> <laughs> well fantastic well let's talk about the streets workers strike so we were talking about it was about was it 140 170 workers in this factory in Minto in Western Sydney. That's right, 140. 140, and um, so they were at risk of having their uh, enterprise agreement 
thrown out or was on its way to being thrown out, which would mean that they were going to lose a lot of their conditions. Um, how many people at that factory were AMWU members? Oh, like all of them. 100%. Um, strong union site, been union for several decades. Um, and yeah, they were staring down the barrel of, um, of a termination of agreement. So the, um, the comp- like under the Fair Work laws currently, companies have the capacity to terminate agreements basically at will, passing a pretty easy test. Um, and, um, and so they were staring down the barrel of a company being able to terminate their agreement, cut their pay by about by close to 50 percent and um and you know like they were in they were in a real bad way when we kind of started the campaign yeah one of the key things i heard throughout the campaign was this pay cut by 46 percent line and it was so clear what that meant it was so obvious you can't contest it you can't fight with facts like that did was that something that you had to sort of go through the award and calculate if the very worst happened that was going to happen or did you, did you have that ready in your back pocket when you started because i really feel like this would have been a different campaign if you weren't going to be able to say that mm. from the get-go um i think that yeah look we basically got a research team that like basically is experts in doing this stuff but it actually isn't that hard a calculation right like there is uh, an agreement that workers negotiate there's a minimum award if you abolish the agreement company has the capacity to take it back to the minimum award we worked out pretty quickly that was 46 percent um i mean the nuts and bolts of it is that for every worker it was kind of different right because some workers are on higher rates so the 46 percent number we came up with um i don't think was the most drastic number but was certainly the the average number that, that each worker would have been affected by um and we just chose that number and stuck with it because it's just easier to kind of keep repeating that yeah um so yeah so it was decided that the people at this at the factory were going to strike pretty big deal like how much warning did you have that that was going to come up um i don't think they ever went on strike actually we there there was there was certainly the capacity to go on strike and i think that they'd started down that process um but um what we had basically the most warning we had was the day that the the company applied to the fair work commission to terminate the agreement um and you know like we we had basically started rolling out a campaign within a couple of weeks of that um, occurrence happening um and so we really went to a lot of effort to start talking to our members about well what will industrial action look like what's the public campaign look like how are we going to put the most pressure on streets to be forced to withdraw their application to terminate the agreement so the decision was we'll go like full-on public campaign public pressure they're a public facing company and then the negotiations can continue in the background yeah which is like such a hard decision for workers to make you know like these guys you know some of them had been there for decades making these ice creams and they were asking the australian public to like boycott the thing that they base their livelihoods on so it was definitely like a a last resort and like a really big step for these workers to take and i think that that was a conversation that our organizers at the site and our state secretary at the site had with them you know and really consulted with them like you know this is going to be such a big step for you to take you guys 100% behind it and they like they really were and they came to us and they said this is what we want you to do this is what we want you to roll out so a boycott is a pretty big gamble right because if you go out there and ask people to boycott something um and it doesn't work (laughs) 
<laughs> like you've shown all your cards, right? And then, mm. you know, you can be left looking like crazy, like, or, you know, ineffective, yeah. which is kind of even worse, right? Mm. Um, so I love what you guys did, which was like make a huge song and dance of it. I was also, I don't know, like four months pregnant at the time. And I had three <laughs> food groups, which were Salatas, Blue Powerade, and Magnums. Oh, sorry. Almond <laughs> and Plain only. <laughs> ben, ben was there for this, uh, our producer today. And so anyway, so it was huge. No, but we found some like non-scab ice creams. But you guys really made it. Like it was out there. Like it was on social media. Um, it weren't just boycotting it. I mean, there weren't people like me. Most people who eat ice creams weren't like me and like re-upping every two days on their magnum. <laughs> so like surely you have to kind of make a big show of it for it mm. to be effective. The amazing thing was that for us, um, we learnt a lot from the CUB dispute, which had mm-hmm. happened about 12 months earlier. Um, and one of the thing, one of the lessons we really learnt from the CUB dispute was that um, if you're going to go down the boycott path, You've got to go early and you've got to own it. Um, one of the things that happens, particularly now as kind of our activist base has gotten quite excited about the digital campaigning techniques and, and going after brands, is that like we've got this problem now where, where every time we want to say something about a company doing something badly, there's, there's a cohort of people that immediately want to start a boycott campaign. And we don't, we, we don't always want to play that card because as you said, it's like in our show we call it the nuclear option like it is mm-hmm. it, it is really the last resort because what you're asking people to do is to stop buying the product that the jobs of the people you're campaigning for rely on um but we learned really quickly from the cub dispute because we did spend a couple of months umming and ahhing about whether we were going to do a boycott and what ended up happening is it just got out ahead of us and all of our activist base were saying we're out boycotting and we weren't saying anything about it. So with the streets campaign, you, 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 I mean, we, we definitively picked a date and we said, this is the day we are just going out and we're going to announce boycott and we're going to make a hell of a song and dance about it. And the moment we owned it, we kind of controlled it in the context of the campaign. And it meant we could easily switch it off too, which is a really important thing because um, the companies need to know that we have the capacity to both stop people buying your product but also encourage them to buy your product if you do the right thing so um so we we kind of learnt lessons from the past about that boycott issue but we're still kind of playing around with that i think as a movement um and it's kind of a really interesting space about how you you know kind of build consumer alliances and get people to boycott things in the context of industrial campaigns and other political campaigns i think it's a really interesting space yeah that's that there's it. a lot of potential in Especially in the like, manufacturing space in Australia, you know, not the most like thriving, growing space there is in the Australian economy. So it must be like pretty intense call to make around the, the things that are still manufactured in Australia. I, I feel like I heard from the company during the time that, you know, it was cheaper to make ice creams in Vietnam or Europe mm. or somewhere else um, and fly them into Australia. Yeah. Um, and that was the reason they were arcing up about paying their workers so yeah interesting to to go down the boycott path but you guys let's talk about your social media for a bit definitely at the amwu like one of the funniest 
like most out there unions online if you're not following them immediately you must the question i've been like actually just dying to ask you guys is like how did you convince your bosses to let you just go out there and be wild online (laughs) um (laughs) i think this was the original iteration that we did this in was i think twitter Mm. when i was maybe two years into the job i think (laughs) all credit to our bosses and you know the, the national leadership of our union for for trusting me in the end to go with it but i think a large degree of it came from the fact that they didn't know what twitter was (laughs) so when i went hey um i'd really like to do some weird things on this social media account they're like yeah 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 the the tweet bot yeah 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 you do that like they had absolutely no conception of of what it actually meant and by the time they kind of cottoned on to the power that twitter has as a medium you know influencing the influencers um we were up and running and everyone was loving what we were doing. And I think then um, we're really fortunate to have a leadership who particularly back our comms team. Like, like I said at the beginning, they've done a lot of work to kind of drag a lot of parts of the union into the 21st century. And so we were lucky that by the time our Twitter stuff and our online deranged kind of persona as a union was gaining some traction, um, the leadership were really ready to go like, okay, well, if it's working, let's just double down on it. Um, and so we've kind of been doing that ever since. And so not that the CUB or the um, streets social media was particularly deranged or particularly edgy, but I think that it was like a lot more fun and bright than perhaps a lot more other um, union comms tends to be. Um, and that's, yeah, definitely, I think, due in part to the fact that we have built up this kind of trust with our leadership and this persona online. And you had some pretty interesting other tactics in the campaign besides sort of social media. Um, You guys went out and talked to punters on Bondi Beach um, and sort of, did you hand out non-scab ice creams? Super dupers. You handed out super dupers. And um, I remember uh, helping you guys crash the... um, the launch of the new gay time product our all-time favorite story all-time favorite and and you guys even had merch like can you talk about how all these other tactics played out and especially what did the punters on bondo beach who aren't um people who spend all day um lolling at twitter um what did they have to say about the whole thing Hilariously, neither Georgia or I ended up at the Bondi Beach. We couldn't go that day. We were both on holidays <laughs> something, or something. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so all the anecdotes I can tell you from that are mm-hmm. third hand. Mm-hmm. But, um, the, well, the, the Bondi Beach stunt um, was kind of one of the few feel, like the what I describe as the field activities. So we did, we did attempt to just take this out of just the digital sphere and, you know, do kind of field events that were, were good spectacles. The thing I think about that's interesting about the Bondi Beach event and, and other events was, um, you know, normally what with disputes like this, they end up resonating in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, like the, the labor movement itself is quite a bubble mm-hmm. and, um, and often it's hard to pierce outside of it. Um, and I think what we saw with the kind of Bondi event was that there was a reception, like, like people did know what you were talking about when you started talking to them about this dispute. And I do really recall, like, just in, even in my family and friend circles outside of the labor movement, all of them kind of knew about it. And, and we were vaguely aware, I think, at the time that we were, we, were, we were introducing, I think, the idea of an industrial dispute to an audience that never 
never hears or talks about industrial disputes. Um, and I thought that was the thing that was really interesting about this. Um, we, we were a bit aware of it at the time, and I think we kind of played around with our language to kind of make it less uniony and less mm-hmm. kind of traditional IR stuff. Um, but um, like, I, you know, I think that was the kind of great thing about this dispute that it, it really just took off outside of the normal bubble that we would normally have our campaigns in. Um, but the Gay Time Sanger thing and the video launch was like the most fun we'd ever had. Um, yeah. Georgia took the lead on that. It was just one of the best things I think we did in the campaign. Yeah, it was just like a gift. It was a gift from heaven that because they, the company released a statement the day before um, saying that they were going to launch this new product at like 10 a.m. the next day. Like they could not have made it easier for us. It was just the most incredibly own goal slash free kick. So we were sitting there going, well, what can we do with this amazing thing that we're about to be gifted? Um and we had established a Facebook page for the campaign to kind of separate the brand of the campaign out from our brand so we could do some more cool stuff on there and also so that we weren't flooding our own Facebook page with um, with the content from the campaign. And so we jumped on there, gave a little a live video briefing to our activists and said, hey, like tomorrow at 10 a.m., jump on here, we'll post a link. Um, we're going to go absolutely nuts on this live video and see if we can derail it. Um, and then we also got in touch with some, you know, some helpers. So uh, VTHC in, or Vic Trades Hall rather, in um, Victoria uh, got a room of their organisers together who were con- coincidentally doing training that day and they all opened up their laptops and were like sitting poised, ready for the 10am. I think you guys did at GetUp did um, something similar. Um, so we reached out through our networks and kind of got a bunch of people ready to go as well as our online activists who were already briefed. And then um, it kicked off and 43 seconds in, the only reacts on this incredibly overproduced, expensive, beautiful live video launching a multi, you know, hundred thousands dollar product were angry reacts. And then the live video finished and within, I think it was 20 minutes, they'd taken it down. <laughs> and it was just like <laughs> me and my colleague, Joe, um, we were the only ones in one of our like satellite offices that day and we were just like crying <laughs> we were just crying with laughter thinking of these poor you know people who did our jobs but for streets sitting behind the laptop thinking like watching all these angry acts pour, like pouring in and going well what are we going to do about this and then their ultimate reaction was to take it down um and our base loved it our networks loved it um but i think most importantly um, we heard feedback from our bargaining um, reps, so our union officials, but also our members who were going in every day um, by that point, I think, to the commission because it was in um, mediation. Uh, and they were sitting across the table from the from the bosses. And the day after that you know, disaster for the company went down, the behaviour at the bargaining table just totally shifted because we'd kind of flexed our muscles in this way that was entirely unprecedented um, for the company, I think. And so it really did shift the course of the bargaining then and suddenly gave our delegates and our bargaining reps a lot more power at the table which was ultimately the thing that we wanted to do so it was it was sick and on merch which is my personal uh project in the union movement i love merch i think it's very important and very undervalued um merch we we had a lot of merch I still have a lot of merch in my office because this campaign was won before it even hit summer um but merch I think was really important because we wanted everyone to 
be able to feel like they were part of a big mass movement. So we wanted to give people a bunch of free shit basically, right? And we wanted them to feel like they were part of a team taking on this big multinational. So, you know, at the beginning, um, we we ordered a, a bunch of merch and then dropped this big story to, I think it was 60 Minutes, that was George's work, um, telling them about how much money we were spending on merch, which was had the dual thing of flexing our muscles, but then we actually had the merch and it meant that when people wanted to get involved, when people wanted to be part of the team, we had something to give them. So, you know, we had bucket hats and stickers and um, core flutes. We had a bunch of shirts that we didn't even have time to get printed before we won. Um, but yeah, I think that was a really important, yeah, George is wearing one of them today. Um, I think that was a really big, important part of the campaign as well, because you want to be able to give people that sense of involvement and inclusion in a campaign like this. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the other thing about the merch that was really funny. You've alluded to this, which is um, we we basically dropped our entire campaign plan to the Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was just a journalist there who was really excited about the campaign. And so like... We, yeah, so like literally there was a day where the Australian printed on like page three, full page story about the Streets Free Summer campaign, but then had like all of the merch that we, we were buying, how much we were spending. Um, and we did it on purpose because of course we wanted to project like we were in for the long haul. Strength, like it was really yeah. important to us that we projected that. But I just remember just seeing this page in the Australians, which was like 10,000 bucket hats. 5,000 shirts, just thinking, this is just, I'll just hit peak insane. Like, uh, you know, I have a journalist reporting on what kind of merch I'm getting. And my 60 minutes grab, which is me sitting there being like, you got some bucket hats. You got some t-shirts. Like, just free kicks of us filming, talking about how shit hot our merch was going to be. It's nuts. Isn't that amazing? I think they must just love the really specific detail stuff, right? Like, you know, $10,000 ad spend on Facebook or whatever is just not as interesting as 10,000 bucket hats. Yeah, because it insinuates we have 10,000 people going to wear them, right? And we love that. Super powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the traditional media as well. Like, I think there was like a 730, you had the, the Oz, you had all the digital media were all over it. And um, I feel like most of it was pretty favorable, actually. Um, was that deliberate? Was that another, um, you know, attempt at demonstrating power? Did you get any blowback? Um, the, it was absolutely deliberate. Um, the, you know, like we, we did think through really strongly about, um, you know, what were, what were the outlets that, that a person who would eat streets ice cream, what, what, you know, what, what were the kind of platforms they would look at and, you know, we had the traditional media overlay. I, I've got to say, though, we did not expect the, the, just how big it would go. And I do remember the day we announced the launch. You know, we did put a real lot of effort. We did, we did this announcement outside the factory on this hot November day in, um, in Minto in, in southwest Sydney. Um, and, you know, like we got a couple of news crews there. It, was, it wasn't really that big. And then when we just went with the online stuff... And we'd put the live video out. Suddenly, like we, you know, the next day we were on Sunrise and Today Show. Like it just went really big, um, in a way that we kind of didn't expect, um, but we'd certainly planned for. And you, I think you're right. Like the the, the coverage was pretty favourable, um, but like the facts have a way of speaking for themselves. Like mm-hmm. it, it was pretty hard to, like like uh, uh, you know like the idea that a company could unilaterally terminate an agreement and cut people's pay by 46 percent 
I mean, I don't know if there's any way for streets to spin that. And, you know, like they talked a lot about it's too expensive for us to do things here and all of that kind of thing. But people just look at 46%. Like, unfairness is unfairness, man. Like, I don't know how else you can you can spin this except to say it was unfair. So I think, we, you know, we did have the benefit of the facts. But also we were just, you know, we were ruthless about just continuing to prosecute that kind of 46% line and making mm. it really clear and the other thing that um i think we were really good at in terms of the the traditional media stuff was um like our spokespeople mm-hmm. you know the ordinary members on the site um people like michelle parkin who was the union delegate there and worked there for like 40 years as our spokespeople on this issue and you know like they put up some geeky kind of guy in accounts to talk about you know the bean counter to talk about how they could do it cheaper in germany like you just know who's more believable and who's kind of more relatable so um you know like we did put a lot of effort into it um the other one we kind of um went pretty hard on was the online platforms we wanted to reach out to um you know like a a younger audience um and i do remember we got into a bit of a mess with buzzfeed because they 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 didn't write anything about not once about the dispute Um, one word (laughs) i did i did a long twitter thread about how angry i was about them that went pretty well um you know, like so, um, so but but targeting junkie in those kinds of places was really important for us as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking as well, like at your launch, I think Sally McManus was there, and one thing about the trade union movement is that um, you guys always seem to like back each other. Like, was there other unions or like sort of basically you or other umbrella unions backing you, supporting you, giving you guys? Um, support because I was thinking you know you had such a like a as you say like a really neat example of obvious unfairness and like if you guys were to win this campaign which you eventually did like that's an awesome thing for the union movement to demonstrate their power like widely so did other unions come in and back you or other sort of structural support yeah um, I think Georgia alluded to a couple of them um you know, Victorian Trades Hall played a really big role. The ACTU played a really big role. Um, and I think people quickly saw, in the union movement, people just quickly saw, well, you know, like this is... Yeah, like the union movement has been talking about this specific problem for a, for a little while now, which is termination of agreements. And part of the problem had been, you know, all of the other examples of termination of agreements were, you know, like it was, it's been happening in mining for a long time, in coal mining, um, in particular, where there's been a downturn in the industry and there's a lot of kind of cost pressures, um, and you know, like it's it's harder to it's harder to, to tell people to boycott coal or or you know stop using their electricity and that kind of thing. So, I think um, the credit to the union movement, credit to people like Sally McManus, they they very quickly tweaked that this was the kind of perfect dispute to demonstrate the point, mm-hmm. um, and so that did mean we kind of got a lot of support from from the ACTU and other unions. And like, we, we couldn't have done it without them really. Like it, it was actually really important getting everyone on board. And um, and it was kind of like, uh, uh, the other part about it is it's like, it was kind of fun and cool, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is a thing about if you can make something really exciting, then everyone kind of wants to be in it and be a part of it. And so that really helped in kind of garnering support from other progressive organizations. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think one of the best examples of like, this dispute being so cool and everyone throwing their weight behind it was um, we were really worried because it was happening kind of overlapping with the 
um, marriage equality postal survey we were really worried that they were going to release streets going to release a rainbow gay time to celebrate mm-hmm. the because they often do this they, i think they were doing like the unicorn gay time and the pina colada gay time and other things at the same time and so we were really worried they were going to release a rainbow one and it was going to go bonkers and so we reached out to like some of the union pride groups and we were like hey can you guys do a gays against gay times campaign and they like did it like they designed up some material made like these you know social media accounts um just like a bunch of queers from across the union movement um running this kind of subsection of a campaign for us because they recognized like the value of it and the importance of it and it was a really obscure but you know helpful and cool way to do it and eventually streets never released her a rainbow gay time but I still have the posters of gays against gay times <laughs> <laughs> so important yeah really important consequences campaign um so how did you guys win what happened oh uh, um but we beat the shit out of them for a long time well for a, for a short but intense time on social media I think they cried and written. said mm, sorry <laughs> it was about a month right that yeah, I think that's. I, I think it's about six weeks actually, mm. um, from the point at which they put in the application to the point that they withdrew the application. Yeah. Um, uh, how we won is really just all of the one percenters that we've just been talking to you about for the last kind of fifteen or twenty minutes, like um, you know, run, you know, um, running a kind of really strong online campaign attacking their brand. I can't. I can't think of one particular moment where. The company just capitulated it was it was just sheer determination by a big group of people to hurt them often and and in weird ways and yeah. eventually they kind of just came to the table and yeah well and exactly like over time it was getting reported back to us again from our bargaining team that their behavior was just changing slowly like so we, we saw it coming mm-hmm. not that that was going to stop us being the shit out of them because mm-hmm. obviously we wanted to give it everything that we got right until the kind of final bell but um, their behaviour was shifting over time. We we saw it coming, and then eventually they, you know, came to us, and our members discussed it and voted up the offer. So, and so they ended up getting their original agreement, like not reinstated, but they kept their original agreement that everyone had agreed to, and it wasn't. They didn't lose any conditions or anything like that. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, the um, the. They so they were renegotiating a new agreement at the time mm-hmm. that the company put in the application to termination to terminate. So um, they ended up, you know, having an agreement with a pretty decent pay increase, no loss of conditions, um, and they all ended up voting that up. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, like it was a really good outcome for us. That's gonna make that would make a huge difference to their lives, hey? Yeah. So well done, you guys. <laughs> I wanted to revisit one particular part of the social media shitstorm that you guys created. And that is a little tweet from Jason Falinski, <laughs> the world's freakiest MP, <laughs> the My representative God. of. Oh, I've lost it. Anyway, uh, representative for the Northern Beaches, Waringa, I think. Waringa. No. Hey, no, that's, that's McKellar. Well, he's up up that way, yeah. somewhere. Henry McKellar. Ben knows these things. Okay. He so at Bron some point, <laughs> he takes it upon himself to tweet these words. I've printed it out. Mm. Great streets for question marks. Bubble O Bill, full stop. What's wrong with a company that employs Oz, pays tax, and makes profit? To which the AMWU. Oh, no, sorry. Can I put yes. in there that. There was then a, a gif or a boomerang of him deep-throating a bubble-o bill. Like, I cannot express all listeners 
<laughs> he's deleted the tweet now, so you can't find it. It is deleted. But it's I think it might be screenshot on a pedestrian article somewhere. He is going in on this bubble bill, and it is the most graphic and horrific thing I've ever seen anyone do it's to terrible. an ice cream. And he's like, you know, a bigger guy is in his office, and it's just, oh. what is he doing? And he's obviously gone to great lengths to antagonize you guys. So you guys responded with a lengthy thread from which which I've pulled up on my phone and I would like for each of you to read your favourite oh. response to this thread there are a lot I'd like it noted while I look for my tweet that this thread was inspired by the absolutely incredible I think her name on Twitter is Spooks Person mm-hmm. who originally did this exact kind of tweet meme format to troll a terrible Republican in the States and it went absolutely viral and it had happened maybe a month prior to this and so when this guy did this freaky thing to the ice cream we went well (laughs) while Georgia also looks for her favourite tweet there is also something to this story which is when we won I think you, me and Joe also posted a boomerang of ourselves deep deep throated Dairy. A so, so for all your listeners out there, there, there is footage of us, which will one day come back to haunt us all, of us deep throating. I think I'm, so I, I, I went for a paddle pop. I'm a paddle pop kind of guy. But I think also it was funny that I think the young liberals did a similar, they did. and they got roasted. And they, you know, it just was not a popular thing to do. Yeah. Like such was the power of your campaign, and obviously, you know, the Australian people's quest for freedom and equality. That like <laughs> they just could not get away with it. But I do feel like in campaign land, the usual response to something like that is like, be the bigger person. <laughs> Let it oh, go. No. Oh, no. When they go low, we go low. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fantastic because you had like all this content, like no one is going to back you if you aren't backing you. You know, you know what I mean? Like you guys were... We're all out there. So. My um, I think I've got to say my favourite is still the first one after the original, so I guess mm-hmm. the second tweet, which is that nice that my guy took time away from asking to speak to your manager to make sweet love to this ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually... The so Tarot many. Cash one, please that was, read the Tarot Cash one. I think I, think I think the Tarot Cash George's, one. I think was George's, yeah. Tarot Cash really speaks to me, like as an ethnic kid growing up in the northwestern suburbs of Sydney, it was... It was a big part of my teenage years. I think I got my formal suit at Tarragash. Um, we just have this incredible text message history in on this particular day where it's me, our colleague Joe and George just sending like kind of incomplete ones of these and everyone finishing each other's sentences. Like it was just the nicest little example of teamwork of us just going absolutely apeshit. Uh, I, think, I think I've got to go with... Um, oh, where was it? Oh, this is so hard. Okay. We, so we really should stop, but it's great that the love child of Tony Abbott and Bronwyn Bishop dressed himself for the first time this morning. <laughs> <laughs> did he ever respond to you guys? No. No. But he did amazing. delete it. He did delete it. Good. Um, so, guys, this has been amazing. Well done on winning such a successful campaign. That has been an amazing example of um both unions being cool online and i think i think like a growing awareness of you know sort of a a trade union analysis of um where 
power is at and um, how we're going to help improve people's lives in the future. So for those people foolishly not following at the AMWU, must do that immediately. But where can they follow you guys? Have you written a book? Can we Anything you want to promo today? I don't have a book. I could never stop for long enough to write a book. Mm-hmm. You can you can follow me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm at George underscore Simon, I think. I live through the AMW Twitter, but I do have my own, which is at Georgia Chris, K-R-I-Z. Be sick to see you guys on the line. Fabulous. Thank you so much, guys. I've learnt a lot and uh, what a fantastic example. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to For The Win. I'm your host, Emily Mulligan. You can follow me on Twitter. You can leave a comment. I'd love some feedback on iTunes. And let me know if you've got any suggestions for campaigns or episodes that you'd like to hear. Cheers. Thanks so much.